Hi friends, I'm Michael Kingswood. It's story time. And uh, hey, happy Independence Day to all my fellow Americans. It's a day late. It's uh, July 5th as I'm recording this. Um, <laughs> like somebody said online, uh, for the Brits, July 5th, good riddance day. <laughs> I don't remember who I heard that from, but that's, I thought it was funny. But uh, yeah, it's uh, been an interesting week. Yesterday was cool in terms of... Uh, the fact that it's July 4th, hanging out with the kids and doing family stuff. But then it came time for fireworks. And it's big old sparklers for the kids and me and the ex are taking them out to go walking around the streets and see fireworks. And yeah, you have sparklers, not fireworks for the kids. But anyway, big old sparklers. And we get out of my neighborhood and right across the street from my neighborhood in the street there, there's cop cars flashing. And this is a nice suburban area. I was like, what the heck's going on? And my oldest son was like, oh, I don't know about this. And he starts heading out and I walk across the street where there is a news camera set up. And sure enough, somebody got shot right there, right outside of my freaking neighborhood, which is, like I said, not a bad part of town at all or a bad neighborhood. It's like, what the heck? So that pretty much killed our festivities a bit. And we just sort of hung out at my place and uh i kind of stood guard turns out it found out this morning in the news well some 16 year old kid got shot and they still haven't caught the person who did it don't really know who did it or why some kind of argument in the parking lot in the apartment complex there it's like really well that just sucks uh so kind of a weird twist to the uh july 4th things here and anyway it was you know san diego they closed down the city became being communists and wimps over the whole covid hoax or or uh closing everything down they turned off the big fireworks displays but man there was still fireworks going off everywhere all over town heard it all night pop 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 fireworks a couple times i was like is that more gunshots because it sounded like it and clearly the gunfight at the apartment complex there was well, I, I can't speak to if it was intentionally timed to correspond with fireworks or not, but still seems like a decent time to do it. Sheesh. But um, anyway, uh, so in spite of uh, California and Southern Cal and San Diego being, you know, communists who hate America, apparently there was still a really good Fourth of July celebration anyway. So that's cool. Um, it was just more subdued around here because of, you know, crime right outside of the neighborhood for god's sake anyway uh you didn't care come here to hear listen to me uh moan and groan about that sort of thing though man you probably some of you probably are listening are like oh that jerk what are you talking about california's communist well i'm just gonna leave it at that and we'll go and back into the chapters of the berkeley's conspiracy which is why you're here to listen to fun fantasy fantasy and science fiction that i write and occasionally mystery too, that I write, that I read for you guys here, for your edification, and that's why you keep coming back, because it's fun. So we'll get right back into the next two chapters. We're coming up near the end of the book here. Uh, today will be chapters 53 and 54, out of 63 total, and we'll leave it at that. Enjoy, I'll talk to you on the flip side. Chapter 53, Through the Front Door The lift door is opened. Beyond lay the antechamber, leading to the two personnel access airlocks in Agrippa's forward ring. 
wide, spanning a good third of the loading ring's circumference and deep, a good hundred meters or more from the lift entrance to the far wall, it was for the most part open, save for a few structural columns at regular intervals and brightly lit by recessed lights in the ceiling. Joe had seen the personnel staging area countless times, but it always struck her, in the hours before passenger loading, as a sad place, a lonely place. Today, it struck her as ominous. On the bright side, the wide open area made it nearly impossible for anyone to sneak up on her group, at least from within the area that was not rendered invisible by the ring's curvature. But it also meant that they would be clearly visible to any watching eyes, and there were many of those lurking around. The company had myriad security cameras installed, covering every square centimeter of the area, or as close to it as they could. Same with the access tunnels they had just departed, and the lift. Joe had no illusions that they had somehow managed to sneak in here unobserved. Maybe if they had not been discovered earlier, they could have, but now... For a heartbeat, she considered ordering Malcolm to hit the up button, retreating to Carl's orbital transport, and fleeing back to the planet. Just as quickly, she dismissed that thought. It was foolhardy in the extreme. There was no chance they could make it back to the craft without being intercepted. If there was any hope, it lay in moving forward toward Agrippa. And yes, she was at a disadvantage here, but if she could get through that airlock and aboard the ship, that all changed. With the access codes Jervis's IT people had programmed in for her, codes that were, to any but the most intimately observant eye authorized by Harold Jameson himself, she could render the ship impregnable, or close enough to it. Close enough to get the thrusters and reactor online, and get them the hell away from there. Hopefully. We going or not? Grant's words jerked Joe out of her reverie. She realized with a start that she had taken a step forward and was now blocking everyone else's path. Flashing him an apologetic smile, she darted out of the lift and turned left to where the loaders should be parked. She expected... Well, she was not sure what she expected, but silence and a complete lack of action was not it. As she cleared the lift doors, Grant and Thomas surged forward. They spread out wide and to the left and right, sweeping the area over the sights of their rifles. After a few seconds, they glanced back at each other. Despite being separated by a good 50 meters, they seemed to communicate complete sentences with the slightest of expression. A second later, Grant waved her and Malcolm onward. She hopped up into the loader, thank God it hadn't been moved, and then carefully moved it down into the lift car and slipped its arms under the pallet holding their precious cargo. Backing up out of the lift, she looked over her shoulder. Malcolm looked decidedly awkward with his rifle up against his shoulder as he watched her back the loader up but he wore a grim expression of a man who means to do business with a weapon. And right then, Joe could not tell how much was feigned and how much was real. She cleared the lift door and turned the loader hard to the left and depressed the loader's accelerator, pressing the machine to greater speed toward the hatch at the far end of the room. It led to an extensible tunnel that linked with this airlock in Section 4 of Agrippa's forward ring, Ring A. That was the section that housed the crew living spaces during cruise flight and the alternate control station. From there, she could have the same controls as existed on the bridge, which was located on Agrippa's hub. She could start up the reactor, engage the maneuvering thrusters, burn the main engines, whatever she needed, and it was only a few hundred meters away. They advanced steadily, Grant and Thomas on the flanks, Malcolm on her side, the loader humming along nicely. As they drew within 20 meters of the airlock hatch, Joe imagined they would meet up with no further opposition. That Chandini had been so flummoxed by their trick on the lift that she had not been able to redeploy her forces in time to intercept Joe and her team. They were going to get aboard Agrippa, Grant and Thomas, as well as Malcolm and her, and make a clean getaway, and then it was off to the stars, and no more worrying, no more grief, and no more concern. She would return the alien's babies home, and be regarded as a hero by alien and human alike. If only. They were close. 
less than 20 meters from the airlock hatch when Joe heard it. Booted feet, running, and getting louder. She glanced aside, past the curvature of the floor, saw a flicker of movement off to the right, looking left, the same, except that the flickering became figures running toward her party. Figures that were dressed in black assault gear, body armor and everything, and carrying rifles. About a dozen troops total, more than enough to take her little group down. Except Joe had just seen Grant and Thomas defeat a half a dozen men, many who were presumably well-trained, without effort, maybe... The two brothers shot glances at each other, and Joe saw the helpless resolve on their faces. They were outmatched, and the brothers knew it. They did not hesitate, though, bless them. Grant shot Joe a hard look and shouted, Go! Then he ran forward to meet the troops, approaching from the right. Thomas took the left. Joe wanted to tell them there was still time they could get to the airlock before the troops reached them, but she knew the truth. Without something to hold them back, the troops would gun them all down well before she could get the door open. So she floored the accelerator and the loader lurched forward. It surged past Malcolm, who had broken into a run as soon as the troops came into view. Get on, Joe shouted, and he obliged, leaping onto the side of the machine as it passed him. If they had farther go, he probably would have fallen, as precarious as his perch was. But as it was, they crossed the remaining distance to the airlock in just a few seconds. Even still, he looked relieved when he dropped back to the floor. Joe swung the loader around to put at least some of its bulk between them and the approaching troops and took it out of gear. Just then, rifle fire erupted from Thomas's direction and the loud thump of a flashbang echoed from Grant's. Joe looked and saw the two men crouched behind separate columns. Thomas's troops scattered in the face of his fire, darting to find their own cover while shooting back, wildly from all appearances. Two of the men approaching Grant were down, stunned by the grenade. The reigning four split up, moving two by two toward his flanks. It's not going to take long at all to overwhelm the two of them. Hurry, Joe. Malcolm grabbed her shoulder and pulled. She slid from the driver's seat and had to catch herself to keep from sprawling onto the floor. Irritation flashed through her, sublimating the fear that had reared up when she heard the troops coming. She almost gave him a tongue lashing, but the deadly serious expression on his face, the tightness around his eyes that bespoke his own fear, drew her up short. He was right, of course, this was no time to screw around. She nodded to him instead and turned to the airlock control pad. He shouldered his rifle and sighted in on Thomas's troops. Maybe he could help hold them off. Malcolm's rifle barked, but Joe paid it no heed. Fishing her old hollow card from the cargo pocket on her thigh, she pressed it against the control pad. The pad flashed a message in red, security code verification required. That was the moment of truth. Harold's access codes would give the IT guys all the clearance they needed to make her access codes work. It had been so logical, everyone agreed it would work, and their test runs had been flawless. But it was one thing to hack into the system from afar, so Joe could verify the codes worked on a remote workstation. This was something else entirely. If these codes did not work... She wiped sweat from her brow and tapped in the 10-digit alphanumeric code. P3R! CL3 Sierra! Colon! Close parentheses. Not super inventive, that, but it was easy to remember and appropriate. The system seemed to process the code for hours, though in truth she knew it took less than a second. The control pad flashed green, and the doors began to open. It was like being thrown a lifeline while drowning. They were in, and it was going to work. Joe glanced over her shoulder. Malcolm, come on! Her words stuck in her throat as she turned her head back to the now-open hatch and the tunnel beyond that led to the Agrippa's outer airlock door. Agent Moore stood just inside the doors, dressed in black combat fatigues, with her hair pulled back from her face. She wore a grim expression and had a plasma pistol in her hand, held it at the ready, and pointed right at Joe's head. Hello, Captain Ishikawa, she said, in a tone that would have frozen molten steel. Chapter 54 Standoff 
Malcolm spun around, bringing his rifle to bear on Agent Moore, but held up short as she made a little tisking sound and flexed her fingers on the grip of her weapon. Her index finger slipped into the trigger guard. She was ready to shoot. Chandini would rather I take you two alive, she said, but if you prefer otherwise... Another flashbang detonated off to the right. Joe hoped that meant Grant was gaining ground against his group of troops, but right then, that was the least of her concerns. You know, Moore said, I thought Chandini had lost it when she deployed us up here. There was no way you'd be so stupid as to show your face. She pursed her lips and gave a little shake of her head. Guess I was wrong. Put down the gun, Jacqueline, Joe said in her vintage, cool and repressure captain voice. Moore snorted. Not gonna happen. You're caught. Might as well admit it to yourselves now. Her lips twisted into a sneer. So close, and yet so far. Joe glanced towards Malcolm. He had lowered the barrel of his rifle so it aimed at the floor near Agent Moore's feet. Probably did not want to give her a reason to shoot. Not a bad plan, considering there was no way she would miss at this range. All the same, it would have been nice if you were a bit more ready, just in case. She drew a deep breath and looked Agent Moore directly in the eye. Neither Malcolm nor I want to hurt you. The sneer returned again. She, at least, could not hurt Agent Moore, and they both knew it. Joe tried another tack. Do you even know why you're here? Agent Moore's eyebrow quirked upward. I'm apprehending fugitives who, another burst of rifle fire from Thomas's direction, too many rounds to have just come from him, interrupted her. The multitude of shots made her lips turn upward into a small smile. Her people were winning, and she knew it. She continued, You are attempting to make a getaway after having stolen government property. Not to mention having disclosed classified material, evaded arrest, and assaulted a number of federal officers. Again, with the tisking sound, you two are going away for a very long time. Her eyes slicked toward Malcolm. Put down the rifle in Goobway before you make me nervous. Malcolm made no move to comply, bless him, but his rifle barrel did lower a few centimeters further. His scowl would have turned Medusa to stone, but it did not phase Agent Moore in the least. Joe shook her head. So you really don't know? Typical, and not unexpected. Agent Moore was a worker bee. She did not need to know what was going on, not in detail. She just needed to know enough to help her catch her query. And to not ask questions beyond that. We encountered aliens when we were out there on the Pericles. Surprise, followed by confusion and irritation, flashed across Agent Moore's face. And was that perhaps a bit of wonder, quickly suppressed? More gunfire, this time in Grant's direction. It was much closer now. They were stranded. They were dying. They gave us their eggs, their babies, and asked us to return them home. We turned them over to the NSA when we returned, along with the tech they gave us in payment. And do you know what Chandini did? Shut up, Agent Moore said through clenched teeth. She flexed her fingers on the grip of her gun again. Turn around and get down on your knees. Joe did not move. She kept staring straight ahead at Agent Moore's eyes. She had flinched a little bit there at the word babies. Chandini sent them to that lab in Australia, the one we raided the other day. They took those eggs and cut them open. They experimented on the alien babies inside and discarded them like they were so much rubbish. Again, the slightest of flinches. Joe took a small step forward. Do you have any children, Jacqueline? Agent Moore retreated in time with Joe's advance. Get down on your knees, now! She had flinched again, even more noticeably, and her tone was suddenly less certain than it had been. So she was a mother. That was rather surprising, actually. Not that she had attracted a mate, but that she had chosen to have a child. She seemed far too focused, too ruthlessly intense about her work to have had that side to her. But then again, people had many layers about them, apparently even government stooges. Joe pressed on, advancing once again. We're not stealing from the government, Jacqueline. We're rescuing the surviving babies, bringing them home. Time to play the trump card. What would you want most if your child was trapped and in danger? Wouldn't you want someone to help if she could? Wouldn't you do anything to rescue him? Agent Moore's hand trembled. 
Her, she said softly. Joe advanced again. She was almost within arm's reach. If someone hurt your little girl, if you killed her and tried to claim it was in the name of science, what would you do with the person when you found out? Agent Moore's frown deepened. Almost too softly to hear, she murmured, I'd kill him. So you see, Joe said, we're not just trying to save those babies. We're trying to save the rest of us as well. For a second, Joe thought she'd gotten through, that Agent Moore would understand and let them pass. And then that second passed. Agent Moore shook her head, no. And then, more strongly, she added, no, you've broken the law. Even if you think you're doing the right thing, there are ways to go about it that don't involve doing what you've done. She drew in a deep breath, squared her jaw, and returned Joe's stare with a determined look of her own. Get down on your knees, or I'll put you down. She glanced aside toward Malcolm. Both of you. Joe did not let her finish the order. No sooner had Agent Moore's eyes left hers than Joe bounded forward into her right, removing her head from the path of the pistol's barrel and aiming a roundhouse kick at Agent Moore's navel. Agent Moore's eyes flashed in surprise and she darted away. She was quick, very quick, but not quick enough. She had only just begun to move when Joe's boot struck her. She bent over and tumbled backward from the force of the kick, coughing as the breath left her lungs. She still clutched a pistol, though. Malcolm, get the loader, Joe ordered as she stepped forward and grabbed at the gun in Agent Moore's hands. From the corner of her eye, Joe could see Malcolm hesitate for a second, clearly torn between helping her and getting the cargo to the ship. That second quickly passed, and he shouldered his rifle and hauled himself up onto the loader's control chair. More rifle fire, followed by a loud cry of pain. Joe could not tell from where exactly, covered the sound of the loader's motor, shifting into drive. Not that Joe had the time to pay attention to it. Stunned as Agent Moore was, she was obviously well-trained and in control of herself. The moment Joe's hand touched the pistol, she squirmed and twisted, almost succeeding in evading Joe's grasp. Only getting her second hand down around the agent's wrist prevented it. As it was, the pistol came perilously close to pointing at Joe's chest before she managed to force it away. And not a moment too soon, the pistol barked, and superheated plasma lanced out, the heat of its passage charring Joe's fatigues and causing her to grit her teeth in pain as her skin burned, along with her lower left ribs, and impacted with the ceiling. Joe twisted her hips, using the force of her momentum to pull Agent Moore from her feet, and sent her sprawling to the floor off to Joe's side. The impact jarred the pistol loose. For a second, Joe had a hold of it, but only for a moment. Then she lost her grip and the weapon dropped away and skittered across the floor toward Agrippa's airlock. Agent Moore noticed and tried to push herself up onto her knees to go after it, but Joe's boot in the small of her back stopped that quickly enough. Joe pressed down, forcing the other woman to the floor, then pulled her own pistol from its halter on her hip. Don't move, Jacqueline. Beneath her, Agent Moore closed her eyes. Just do it. Joe took a second to glance behind her and saw the loader still at the mouth of the tunnel, motionless. Where? And then she saw Malcolm. Standing beside the loader with his arms wrapped around Grant, the fighting man was bleeding from a cut on his temple and his left sleeve was torn away, revealing a painful-looking burn that ran down most of his upper arm. He moved stiffly on his right leg, as though he was having trouble bending it. Where was Thomas? Malcolm met her eyes and must have seen the question there. He shook his head, his face grim. Sorrow and cold anger welled up within Joe. She could see the same thing, magnified a thousandfold, in Grant's eyes through the physical pain. Joe's heart went out to him. She had never had a blood brother but she had a large extended family among her fellow starfarers. She knew how it was to lose a loved one. Her eyes flickered toward Malcolm, and she recalled the agony when he had died those months ago, except that he had not really died. Thomas would not come back from the dead like Malcolm had. There was no time to dwell on that now, though. Move it, Joe said, in as commanding a tone as she could muster, and that was quite commanding, all things considered. She turned back to Agent Moore and pressed her pistol to the back of the woman's head. Then she reached down with her left hand and felt along her waist until... there handcuffs. Never leave home without them, 
A couple seconds later, Joe had Agent Moore's hands cuffed behind her back, and she shoved her against the wall so the agent would be out of the way. Then Joe hurried back to the loader and her two comrades. From the corner of her eye, she saw disbelief on Agent Moore's face. Hey, all right, so we had the big showdown with Agent Moore, and uh, I hope you found that satisfying. I liked writing it. Um, and it's part of the reason why I gave a couple of viewpoints from Agent Moore throughout the book to give her more than just the uh, mustache-twirling villain thing, because you can see a little bit more about you know the kind of person she is and her concerns um, as we went about through those few brief point-of-view times. And I kind of liked how Joe was able to get in the maternal side and before she got a one-up on her. And, uh, yeah, so that's good. But uh, it's not the only obstacle remaining to them, though, of course. There's more <laughs> more obstacles to get past. Um, man, they still aren't necessarily out of there. They don't even really have the ship, and who knows what can happen. So come in next week, and we'll talk more in the next couple uh, chapters. Or, of course, you can go buy the book or however regardless please do uh, like the podcast and the videos subscribe tell your pals and come back the kickstarter as i talked about last week uh the kickstarter campaign for my glimmer veil chronicles series third book is going it's uh, still going slow um like i said haven't done that good a job hadn't done that good a job before last week getting the the word out and yeah, it's it's going slow, but steady progress. Uh, if you guys want to go check out the uh, campaign, I'd appreciate it. Uh, the links will be in the show notes as well as in the slide at the end, and uh, go from there. Meantime, uh, come back next week, and we'll continue on with the book, the Pericles Conspiracy, and hopefully uh, we'll get through it here in the next couple of weeks and move on to more good stuff. Hopefully, you know, you know, be satisfied with the ending, and uh, that's it. All right, um, that's all I got. Talk to you next time. Until then, don't do anything I wouldn't do.